scripture reading this morning uh, comes from Acts 2, 42-47, and I'll be reading from the TNIV. This is the word of the Lord. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, good morning, reality. It is a joy to be with you. And as I prepared this message, I I couldn't help but think of the Apostle Paul uh, when he was writing letters to people whom he had never seen. And I feel a little bit like that today. But I do know from John uh, that you've been working your way through the Gospel of Mark, highlighting the themes of the kingdom of God. And Mark highlights an aspect of the kingdom of God along the lines of our seeing and our hearing. And and as I was preparing uh, the sermon for you this week, um, yeah, a, a few lines from the Gospel of Mark came to mind as I was in prayer. At the beginning of of Jesus' speaking in strange and and strategic parables, he says this, Mark 4, verse 9, Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus intentionally uses these parables to expand our range of understanding beyond what we can see and hear because he calls for our hearts to respond. He tells these stories that we might come to confess him and to be shaped by his ultimate story. And Mark says that that there are secrets of the kingdom of God within these parables. And Mark warns us that some, as they listen, may be seeing but never perceiving, hearing but never truly understanding. And so at the beginning of our time together this morning, I encourage us, those who have ears, let them hear. Also, as I've begun um, working within pastoral ministry, I've uh, come to the conclusion that one in three pastors are bird watchers. Now, this isn't supported by any data, officially, but John Stott, pastor, uh, he he wrote a book called The Birds Are Teachers, Biblical Lessons from a Lifelong Bird Watcher. Now, whether this data is actually supported or not, uh, I thought I should at least give bird watching a try. And and so, in in the midst of the oak trees and, and the cherry blossoms, there's an arbutus outside of our alley and And uh, in it, it's an apartment complex full of our winged friends. And um, the only bird that I can actually beckon to come from the tree close to our smudge window is is a hummingbird. 
And my hummingbird feeder was put out at the beginning of COVID as home office entertainment. I, I had my binoculars neighbor to my laptop. And uh, in this chaos of the sirens roaring down Oak Street to BC Children's and the dump trucks charging through the alley, uh, these little birds did in some way become my teacher. But I only saw them in the context of just outside of my window. And this March, I, I sat in the silence and stillness alone at a retreat center on Bowen Island. And I, was, I realized that there's something about these birds that I could not learn in the chaos surrounding my apartment. On Bowen, I, I would see the birds climb high into the open air only to charge the ground in an aggressive dive and a sharp chirp was made as they straightened their tail feathers and swoop back upwards. And now I learned that this only happens in particular times of the year, and it actually heightens in the middle of May, where we are now. But the strange thing is this. When I returned to my apartment, the sirens of Oak Street and the rumbling of garbage trucks no longer hid the diving chirp of my hummingbird friends. What I learned to hear in the stillness while I was alone on Bowen Island, I can now hear in the chaos. Jesus says, those who have ears, let them hear. I'm now learning to listen, and I can't help but think that the Holy Spirit has brought upon us a listening retreat during the pandemic to form us, to form God's people in a fresh way, and it is this idea of formation that I want to talk about today. The gathered church on Sunday mornings has naturally been a central point for our formation. For so long we have heard and seen the Spirit working within our gatherings as the church. But can we hear Him when we are alone, when we cannot meet? Has formation stopped? I believe that the Spirit might be reteaching us that His presence is and must be the center of all transformation. And so, on this theme of, of formation in the Holy Spirit, we come to a moment in our church calendar Pentecost, the celebrating of a moment of the kingdom of God for the followers of Jesus in the past, the present, and the future our remembering of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The person, presence, and power of God descended upon the early believers and radically affects their posture of life, which we just read about a few moments ago. It's as if their hearts were speaking, saying, how can we not but be renovated when the residence of God is now situated within us? Or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, has taken off his shoes in the living room of our hearts. And so in light of Pentecost, this morning, my hope is to do two primary things. First, we're going to take a look at the story of the Spirit's descent in the first two chapters of Acts, leading up to the scripture that we had read for us this morning. 
As the presence of God descends, we're going to ask, what does this imply about the formation of the early church? How does the presence of the Holy Spirit affect both the individual and the community who confess in the Lordship of Jesus? My hope is that we will see that the presence of Jesus in the Holy Spirit implies that we will be formed. And second, after looking at the response of the early church to the coming of the Holy Spirit, we're going to reflect on how the Spirit may be uniquely using our circumstances in the present to tune our ears to the sounds of formation, to learn things in the stillness of solitude and being alone. And so in attempts to, to put this multifaceted, personal, and intimate reality into a single phrase, I want to offer this as the undercurrent of our learning today. The Holy Spirit initiates formation and forms initiative. The Holy Spirit initiates formation within us and forms initiative. The presence of God in the Holy Spirit is the catalyst for renovating our hearts and all the while frames within us the capacity to be further formed. And the Holy Spirit simultaneously does this. Initiating formation and forming initiative in our interior and our exterior. This renovating work begins on the personal level and moves to the corporate. In other words, this formation happens when we're alone and when we are gathered. And so if you have your Bibles, I I encourage you to look with me in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 where we see our first point, that the Holy Spirit initiates formation. Look with me, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus says this to his disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. Jesus declares that this gift to come is the helper, our divine advocate, our way to truth, and our illumination. The gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is not only worth waiting for, he says the Holy Spirit must be waited for. And now I I was challenged and, and comforted by this this week, that we are called to wait because everything must begin with God. I mean, the disciples, with three years of knowledge of living, breathing, eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom alongside and and walking with Jesus, could not and did not start the kingdom of God. Eugene Peterson highlights that we do not begin in our relationship with the Lord. We always join. We wait for the Holy Spirit because we need the presence of God to initiate our inner formation. Without the presence of God, we cannot understand our truest identity as children of God. And so we see that that after his own time of waiting, Jesus was baptized. And and Luke says in chapter 3, verse 22 of the gospel, his gospel account, 
that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form. Like a dove, a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit descends upon Jesus as he waited. Prior to any of his doings. God's love is poured out upon Jesus, his son, his child. This is the first point of contact that we see in the Gospels. It reminds me of Romans 5 verse 5 that says God's love, God himself is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that is gifted to us. And so in light of this, I I ask, how has waiting for God shown itself? in your rhythms of life, in your rule for life? What role does waiting play? When and where have you tasted the sweet moments of waiting to join what God has already started? I think of the image of trying to join in on a game of jump rope, this waiting, this anticipating to join in that which has already started and moving. Or are there specific times when you find yourself jump-starting the process? Like an eager car at a red light that, that just inches its way forward before given the green. For, I, for me, I, I know that I jump the gun often when it comes to the preparation of sermons and teachings. It's easy for me to just bypass Uh, the need to wait and listen for my own self. And instead I I busy myself trying to find points that I could teach from. And so perhaps the virus has been a prolonged red light for many of us. I mean, we're waiting to be back in person. Our, Our social calendars are empty and we feel like the world of ministry is on pause. But I say to you, those who have ears, let them hear. In a world of immediate gratification and and do-it-yourself theology, we must be reminded, we must be reminded that, that this is not a useless waiting. In the scheme of the kingdom, this waiting is not inefficiency. It is waiting for life itself. But then we find in the account that a question is asked by by one of Jesus' disciples, one of them in the three-year co-op program, uh, and it highlights a blind spot in their own hearing and seeing. They say this in verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When are you going to fix this whole Roman Empire problem? When are you going to actually restore the land that was promised to Abraham? When are you going to sit on the throne and rule your kingdom? The emphasis is placed on the divine initiative in the person of Jesus to the neglect of the helper that Jesus promised would come. The helper in whom Jesus said, to his disciples, that it would be better that I leave you so that the helper can come. 
But Jesus responds to them by saying this in Acts 1 verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus responds by saying that the primary gift we wait to receive is God's presence in the Holy Spirit. Well, it may seem like Peter and the disciples had everything they needed to do for the work of ministry. They had already lived alongside Jesus. They had already seen the resurrected body of Jesus. They see, have seen the ascension, but they still were told something that was missing. They were told that something was missing. As if any ministry they did prior to the Holy Spirit's coming, the Holy Spirit's love would just be them going around like a clanging gong. Just like the people of Israel in the desert needed the presence of God to distinguish them from the other nations. Or just like the finely adorned temple in Jerusalem was nothing but an ornament without the flooding in of the glory of God in Ezekiel, the early church was told to wait. But we see all of this come to action in in Acts 2 verse 1. We read, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, about 120. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. A sound came upon them, like the rumbling of the wind that happens when you're standing along the ocean and you have your hood on. And something that appeared to be fire rested upon them individually. The glorious pillar of cloud and fire that led Israel out of Egypt now rests in the tabernacle of humanity. God's making his home in our hearts. The way, the truth, and the life, love himself, being poured into the hearts and eyes of the disciples. And as we continue, we read and see that the voices and spirits of those believers are intimately joined to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, it says in Romans 8. The Spirit's initiation had arrived, and instead of the catastrophic division of voices that we have read about at Babel, Now we have the unifying voices in the upper room. Reality formation does not begin with outward action. It begins with inner dwelling within us. The Holy Spirit resting. A beautiful moment. And yet, in this moment of indwelling love, there is confusion. We're told, as we see in in Acts 2, verses 11 and 12, 
that some stood and were amazed. They were perplexed, having eyes to see and ears to hear the wonders of God. And yet in verse 13, we read this. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Those of you listening who who follow Jesus, surely you have had these moments of glory. God's presence dwelling within you. Moments where you find contentment simply being in the presence of God, being known that you are a daughter or a son of the Most High. And yet surely you have had moments in which this intimacy is interpreted by family, friends, or colleagues as hysteria. Wacky Christian stuff. Maybe you feel this when you gather on Sunday mornings and you raise your hands in worship. Maybe you feel this when you're seen on vacation spending time in the morning praying and reading at the picnic table of your camping site. Maybe you experience this when people at work don't understand why you're taking Sabbath and and not receiving phone calls or checking your emails. Or maybe you feel this when you share an image or a word with someone that comes to mind as you're praying over them. Maybe you feel this when others see the way that you use your finances and the response from the onlookers is saying, well, they're as good as drunk. Not in their right mind. But in these sweet moments, unavailable to human eye and ear, we hear and see, feel and know that we have joined the Spirit's initiating work within us a work that we do not begin ourselves, but we join alongside. Jesus says in John 14, the world cannot accept the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Growth comes first from the Holy Spirit initiating formation within us by his moving in. We see that the kickstarting of the early church's formation is not primarily an action. It is receiving the one who, who gives us our identity as his beloved children. And so we must make a distinction between the then of Acts 2 and the now of 2021 because our present waiting is not for the Holy Spirit to come down. Our waiting is to be together on Sunday mornings, in community groups, in our homes together. So maybe, maybe our waiting to be in person together allows us to to re-emphasizing are joining in with the the initiator of all the holy moments that we have had together. Maybe we are learning in this time that while we wait to gather together, the Spirit does not need our gathering in order for us to join in 
to what he is starting. We learn that we must wait. We must wait to join. And that the primary gift of the presence and person of the Holy Spirit the one who declares our adoption as children of God. This comes first, but we also receive a secondary gift simultaneously. Back in Acts 1, in the response to Jesus, this is what he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And this power leads to our second point that the Holy Spirit does not only initiate formation, but the Holy Spirit forms initiative within us. As the presence of the Spirit dwells within us like a balloon, our hearts expand and are formed to, to house His presence and the contours of His character. But I know that power is a loaded word. But the power of the Holy Spirit must be calibrated off of what we see in the person and the work of Jesus and not the definitions given in our world torn by division. Because this power is beyond ourselves. It is beyond our sinful inclinations. The power of the world is, is wielded domination at the expense of the other a domination of the lowly. And yet Jesus says to his disciples in the Gospel of Mark, this worldly power is not so with you. Jesus says, whoever wants to be great among you must be first slave of all. For the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. We see that as the Spirit came upon Jesus himself, it spurred on kingdom initiatives. Initiatives to proclaim the good news we read in Luke chapter 4. Refreshing news to those who are hurting. Care and housing to those who are impoverished. Freedom for the oppressed. The recovery of true sight for those who are blind. Care for the, those who are immobile or seen as a burden to society. Jesus is initiating formation. He is the mover of the kingdom of God, but he invites individuals transformed by his presence to be the power of his presence. This is the power, the good news that the disciples needed to wait for. And so I want us to focus on the individual level of this formation because we currently are limited to do it together. The formation of community only happens with the formation of individuals. The collective impact that we read about in Acts 2, 42 to 47 only comes after the Spirit forms holy initiatives within women, man, and child seeing the Holy Spirit descend and wanting in. And so we read in, in the middle of Acts chapter 2 that Peter stands up 
After the Spirit has descent and, and people are speaking in tongues, Peter stands and interprets what happens. He tells all the onlookers that, that this initiating work of the Holy Spirit is only available because of the work of Jesus. The climax of the great story of Yahweh has come to a height as King Jesus returns as heir of this kingdom. This is how Peter says it in Acts 2.32. Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Those listening, those watching, truly heard and truly saw. And we know this because it says that their hearts were not the same. Perhaps this is the circumcision of the heart talked about in Deuteronomy. The hearts of the onlookers now yearn to be formed by the presence of God and to participate within this kingdom. The Spirit formed an initiative within them to respond. Their, their, their hearts were cut. And so I ask, has the Spirit collided with your heart in such a serious way that you could not deny it or conjure up the experience on your own? Because here we see a turning initiative forming within those looking. We see that at least 3,000 watching felt the whiplash of the Spirit and ask a simple but poignant question. What shall we now do? What do we do now? And, and Peter puts their yearning into words. He says this, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance, unfortunately, has an abounding number of negative connotations. It might bring up self-hate, failure, imperfection, screwed up lives, or, or, or us just being all around bad people that just need to be better. But this turning mentioned by Peter is in fact a turning to the freest life that we can imagine. There's beauty in the language of repentance, which has been long neglected. It is, in fact, an initiative, a joyful admitting that we cannot produce the worship, freedom, 
joy, hope, reconciliation, and rest for which our souls so deeply long and for which our culture so greatly yearns for. It is not simply interior, though, this repentance. It includes our, our, our baptism, our public display of our dying with the Savior whom we once mocked and our being raised with the Savior that we now see and hear. Once we taste of the Spirit, Peter declares we cannot but respond with wanting more. And this power from his presence is a gift, Peter says, that isn't just for us. He continues in verse 39. He says, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. The Spirit's gift is our own invitation to embrace Him as as His children, but also to gather others along the way. This initiative of individuals to turn, to pass on, to extend, in fact, is is formed by the the heart-cutting action of the Holy Spirit. And the result is a worshiping community an initiating community that not only asks the question, what shall we now do, but begins to explore the joys of finding out. A community of praise is birthed in a world of cynicism, a community of justice in what Peter calls in Acts 2.40, a corrupt generation. And we, we hear of this learning and, and worshiping and, and sacrificial and growing community in Acts 2, 42 to 47. Let me read it again for us. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles and all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now in the midst of a pandemic, this pandemic that forces us to be siloed or island in our homes, we may hear the joining of the early church and actually be inspired to jealousy. We might say, but they can gather. They can be together physically. What's in it for us? How do we do this now? But I come to you, reality, this morning, delivering this message joyfully, because I believe that the Holy Spirit has and is using 
this virus as a form of a retreat. Similar to my listening on Bowen Island, a retreat to tune our ears to the interior formation that that we could not hear before. A formation that Jesus has, has given the opportunity for us to listen to uniquely. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor and theologian and and even a rebel within uh, World War II, he says this in his book, Life Together. He says, only as we are within the fellowship can we be alone. And only the one who is alone can be in the fellowship. Our time in the quiet in the lonely, in being alone during this pandemic can lead to our meeting others in a fresh way. This fresh way can be seen in the formation of the early church. This wasn't self-will or hard work or, or pulling up their bootstraps. It began with people tasting the presence of the Holy Spirit and asking this question, a question that many of us have asked during the pandemic. What shall we now do? Perhaps the Lord is using this time for us to remember that we as individuals can and must be cut to the heart, even when we are alone in communion with God. The sacrificial and radical community of Acts 2, 42 to 47 only happens with individuals who have let the Holy Spirit initiate formation within them and form initiative within them to confess Him as Lord, to say that they are all in. The community is built when individuals are formed by the presence of God, when they are alone and reality. The Spirit has gifted us with a time when we push aside all the other distractions and the Lord says to us, do you hear my voice? Do you see me? Perhaps being stuck in our homes waiting provides more time for us to refresh ourselves in silence before God's word. Rummaging through the apostles' teaching for us. Maybe this is a time to receive a fresh word in order to give fresh words to others when we're able to join up again. Maybe breaking bread by ourselves or with those that we live with, with our bubbles, in communion with God, will help us gather stronger when we can break bread as the gathered church. Perhaps our time of prayer and intercession alone will only make the moments of prayer when we are together more united being one as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one in the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Perhaps we've been given time alone to do the hidden and secret work of prayer in the unseen, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, that we would pray in the unseen for those whom we long to see. 
Bonhoeffer says again that Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of the members for one another or it collapses. What if the best way we can spend our time alone is to devote the time we would have spent with friends to intercede for them? And so I ask, when you ask the question, what shall we now do? What formation has the Spirit begun in you during COVID? And how has He empowered you to push further up and further in in a way that you could not see or hear before? And now I know that COVID restrictions aren't grand. Loneliness, anxiety, and isolation are real experiences. But my joy comes because Jesus does not say that those will just disappear. Instead, the encouragement comes through the words of the Apostle Paul that he says, Our joining of the Spirit is just one degree of formation at a time. It's just from one degree of glory to another. And so, I'm not asking you to wait for the Spirit to come as He did at Pentecost. I'm just asking how can we join in the formation that He wants to begin in us alone even as we wait to gather together. And so even when it can be hard to listen, if they are the faintest beckoning calls, where can you hear the Spirit moving around you and inviting you to join? So I encourage you this morning, those who have ears, let them hear. Not only in the times of chaos, but also in the time of stillness. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you descend down to this group of disciples that at times were filled with doubt, were were told that they were lacking faith. And yet, Jesus, you came and you resided within them. And Lord, I ask now for those listening, those whom I haven't met, I ask that the comforting presence of your Holy Spirit would make his home in their hearts and that the Spirit would be expanding, creating formation within them. And that as they are, they would taste of your Lordship and be encouraged that you have not looked away from them. And rather, you've actually called them, invited all of us to join in in a new way, to listen to you, to hear you.
even in the times of our being alone. And Lord, I pray for those who are feeling the reality of isolation and loneliness and grief. And I do ask that they would know in a fresh way your steadfast presence and faithfulness, both in communion with you, but also through phone calls and and, um, drop-offs and and conversations with others. We thank you, Spirit, that you are alive and moving. In your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.